This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. The advice that was given to me as a brand new leader was, Sonia, I will never call you and ask you why you did too much for someone, but I will very likely call you and ask you why you did not do enough. That's the voice of Sonia LaCour. She's the Vice President of In-Flight Operations at Southwest Airlines. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hi there, I'm Michael Momsen. So, Michael, today we are speaking to Southwest Airlines, which is a brand that we've heard a lot about over the past few years making this podcast. Yeah, a lot of people idolize Southwest just for their amazing customer service. It's one of the rare, rare, rare airlines that get mentioned where I love (laughs) flying Southwest Airlines. It's a great experience. Wow, they're amazing. That's actually quite true. And uh, I can attest to it. I've flown Southwest a couple of times in the past year and they really do deliver. So on today's show, we're going to unpack how exactly they do that. How the world's most loved airline at a practical level actually delivers such amazing customer experience. And we unpack some of the challenges of doing so and how they deal with those speed bumps along the way. So we started out by asking Sonia to explain how Southwest Airlines stands out in such a competitive category. I think it's our ability to be authentic and to allow our people to be that, to empower them to be authentic. We, we just don't have a cookie cutter mold. And uh, while we certainly have regulations and policies, we let them color outside the lines to lean into the customer. And I just think that's probably the secret sauce and that we value them. We value our employees and truly see them as an asset. It sounds like what you're saying is it's the people that make the magic happen, that make you different. Having a plane and putting it in the air and putting a price on that seat, that bit's commoditized. And so it's just the people that make Southwest different. So much so. And I think I marvel that other companies sometimes don't realize that that is the secret. Everybody Mm. wants to know what the secret is, but the secret is loving and appreciating your people. And I kind of have this theory that it's kind of hard to give what you don't get. Mm. If you invest in your people, then they will invest in the customer. Our employees have proven that time and time again. Obviously, it's really working, right? Like Southwest Airlines not only gets mentioned so often by people on our show as a great brand, as an example of delivering customer experience. I think the thing that I love is that the proof is in the pudding that it's not just a nice feel-good thing and and customers are really happy, but it's actually a great business as well. Delivering great service all the time is really hard. The flight attendants are working long shifts, you know, will have demanding customers. How do you ensure that they're on their A game and that they are delivering that great service all the time because that's the real hard stuff, right? First of all, I think that our employees really do care about the customer. They, they do. They find that the strongest voice of all voices. But I also believe that we launched a program a while back and they have really leaned into that, which is every seat has a story just like every employee has a story. So I think they have this wonderful ability, partially because we hire for that, we train for that, we look for that, and we quite honestly don't keep people if they don't have it, that they have to be able to put themselves in the shoes of the person. And they know that on that given day, people travel for a variety of reasons and they're not always joyful. No, that's true. That's really interesting, that one-liner. 
every seat has a story. Let's unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that? It kind of goes back to why are they there that day or what's going on in their life? What kind of challenges do they have at home? And are they a first-time flyer? Are they scared? Mm. You know, do they have some fear and anxiety? Do they have a really bad situation facing them on the other end? Or are they going to celebrate a wedding and a marriage and a bachelor party or, you know, and giving them the opportunity to try to look through those lens so that they can meet the tone of where that customer is. And then, by the way, that's exactly what we do for our people, going back to giving them what we expect them to give. If we can do that for them, then we're kind of teaching them that that's just the way, kind of pay it forward in life. How do you ensure that you deliver on that, actually? Because, you know, it's obviously like a wonderful promise and, and, and clearly it starts with the right hiring and the training. But I'm just sort of interested in how do you know that you're doing that? We, we obviously have several me- ways of measuring that. But more importantly, I think it's the motivation behind what drives our employees. We have many recognition programs company-wide. And what we've learned and have proven is that people respond to positive feedback. So when you're giving them that positive feedback, they want to do more and more of that. And I think even deeper than that, they want to feel relevant and they want to feel like they're making a difference. And gosh, I I tell you, I just marvel at the heart of the people that we get and how much that means to them. I know that sounds simple and basic, but (laughs) they're just, they love our customers. And we have employees that will write us and say, there was a customer on my flight and I feel like, you know, something went wrong even in the security checkpoint. And is there something we can do for them? People go that distance to try to take care of the customer, even outside of their own cabin experience or airport. No, it's so true. I remember early on in my career when I was uh, managing a McDonald's store while I was studying, I always marveled at how well someone just goes that extra mile or is so happy to get one of those pins, you know, that they were great at mopping or cleaning, you know, like it just, it means so much. There's something very, very human about that. Are there any stories that come to mind where this program of recognition has really been a great highlight? I will tell you candidly, we've had just like every company, you have an employee every now and then that doesn't get it right. And so Mm. we do too. And we have a program that is for us in in-flight, it's called Flight Attendant of the Year. And it is a peer program. Uh, Peers submit submissions on their behalf. And we took that opportunity to turn one of our employees around to remind them that the submissions that were coming in, people saw them really good in their customer service, but we weren't seeing that same customer service with their peers or just in the airport experience in general. That program drove this person to such great positive lens that they ended up being one of our top flight attendants of the year. And we have one for each location. And then we celebrate that. We have a banquet. We have an awards night. We dress up. They bring a guest with them and we give them this amazing award. And I think that that story is probably one of my favorites because this person probably was well toward being a bitter, potential non-productive, and maybe even terminable flight attendant. So I think it goes back to my positive reinforcement. Yeah, Sonia, I really love that story. And it's a great example of how, you know, positive reinforcement and building some recognition around the behavior you're trying to emulate will encourage that. So, that's kind of one great way of building this service-oriented culture and this service-oriented mindset. It seems, though, that 
Southwest kind of has this culture of customer service and customer experience really ingrained right throughout the organization. And so, apart from just recognition programs, are there other things that you're doing to build that culture? Yeah, we engage our people in culture. So, I I think you probably both know that our founders of the company, Herb Kelleher, who unfortunately just passed away, and Colleen Barrett, they are loved and admired by our employees so much. Whatever words of advice or wisdom they ever gave to our work group, our work group embraced that and believed it and lived it. So they laid the foundation for culture. And they have to give credit to what they started with. We actually have culture committees. We actually have people who sign up for it, people who almost (laughs) like compete to be on some of these committees because it's so important to them. And then we want them to take that out into their community and they do that together. We find hokey ways to just have fun and celebrate. I'll give you an example. My team just this week did a a cornhole tournament and we had on our lunch break and everybody just brought their lunch and we all played cornhole, myself included, in my dress and my heels. And I love that our people are energized by that. It's hard not to fall in love with your company when you're doing that kind of thing. And our employees do that out in the field too. They, they find ways to wow each other. Yeah, that's great. Can I ask a, st- a stupid question? What's cornhole? I, uh, maybe it's oh, an American sorry. thing. <laughs> but I'm not familiar with be, it. It's a beanbag bean toss. Does that ring a oh. bell? Beanbag. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned something there, Sonia, which was culture committees. Uh, I can't go past that without asking, what is that? How does that look? And what's really the purpose and, and the outcome of these culture committees? So we have a corporate-wide culture committee, and that, that's people from all over the company. That's every department. We have a managing director of culture here at Southwest. So she and her team, they're ambassadors that go out into each department and help foster that and bring creative ways to celebrate our people. And then we build upon that in each of the locations. So people really love getting involved in that. And by the way, one of the things that we remind people all the time is culture is never a T-shirt and a pizza everyone is responsible for the culture. And at a practical level, uh, Sonia, I'd be interested in how this shows up for your team of flight attendants, especially because they're such a distributed workforce. So, it's not like they're all in the same room or in the same office and you can get people together regularly and you can see the subtleties that are happening. They're all out there literally in the field doing their job every day. Maybe just talk us through some of the key pillars clearly like getting the hiring right and training and onboarding and things like that. But maybe could you talk us through that and with the lens of the fact that they're remote? We have to definitely find creative ways to meet them where they are, for sure. We have a six-month onboarding process once they're hired. Wow, six months. Yes. (laughs) Do you call that longboarding? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. We may do that. It's definitely not shortboarding. They love that because they have someone assigned to them and they have their cell phone. We have leaders, they have their cell phone for six months and they are able to call them 24-7 and they have a really strong support there and they meet with them. And I think that process just kind of, it really starts and gets sets them up for success. I should also tell you one of the things I love is our flight attendants are involved in the hiring process too. So they work with our HR team So while you'll always have a member of the HR there, we involve our flight attendants. And quite honestly, one of the things they'll say when they're in the interview is 
they'll run through the lens of, can I sit on a jump seat and work with this? Person? Yeah, can I work with this person? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, am I going to have to be covering for their lack of service? And, you know, I don't want to have to write a report on this. So they're careful. They'll come to me sometime and say, you know, Sonia, this job is too great to give away. We're not just going to give it to anyone. So they take so much pride in that. And I do think that's really fun and helpful. It's a point of pride for them, for sure. It's almost like, do we want to admit this person to the tribe, right? Like, it's like, you're going to join this team. Like, we're an elite sports team and we want to make sure that you're a good fit as well and not like someone else just deciding and then all of a sudden I've got a newbie starting, but they're part of that process and have a voice in that process. That's excellent. Can you maybe uh, talk us through a little bit more after longboarding? You know, what happens uh, on a regular basis? Do you get everyone together regularly? You know, do you like, is it like lots of like video training? Like, how do you actually just sort of practically do this when your team is, you know, literally in you know hundreds of cities at the same time we have uh, 11 flight attendant bases they are all attached to one of those bases and while they may not live there that is where they have to check in and start and end their trip when it comes to training they do their four-week initial training here in our headquarter group and we have a whole training department that is outstanding and they train all of our employees and then they have an annual time that they get together. It is primarily regulatory and FAA mandated, but it is there one time a year to come together. There's a, you know, we, we make sure that it's a nice cultural experience as well. And then last year we launched something that's really been revolutionary for us. And um, we actually called it the retreat. And it was a day that we don't make. The former training I just talked about is mandatory because of the FAA, but this next one is a, an optional. They can sign up and come if they want to and we'll pay them for a, like a five hour day six hours i believe and they learned all about how to take care of themselves how to take care of each other um really working together as a team we have a saying here that we love which is one team all heart and so they we really focused on that we have a hospitality will that we use and it starts with welcome engage serve, appreciate, and then repeat. The core center of that will is to be an advocate for your customer. So again, that was established and designed and brought forward by our frontline employees. But the thing that I think they love the most is we brought in scenarios. It was a scenario-based training. And I say training, it was really not a training. It was more of a, just an opportunity for them to get together and share best practices. But they wore different hats. So they would have a sign in front of them that would say, today you're the customer. In this scenario, you're the flight attendant. Whatever hat you wore, you had to talk about how that made you feel. That has been an amazing training. And by the way, the subtle thing that came out of that that we were not expecting is inclusion. People really embraced others' differences and they see people as individuals and without putting them in a box or, or tagging them in any way. So this is really wonderful. We've talked about the, the the onboarding, the ongoing training, culture. We've talked about this kind of idea of empowerment. Um, and it really feels like I think everyone at Southwest is just part of this big family that has this shared vision. So I want to ask about hiring then and basically admitting people into that family, into the inner circle. What does the hiring process look like? How long is that hiring process? What are you kind of screening for? And how many people actually make it through the other end? We have thousands of people 
who apply, we sometimes jokingly say, and we don't mean any disrespect by this, but we sometimes jokingly say it's easier to get into Harvard than it is to get into <laughs> Southwest. But the process is obviously very thorough on the background. We're looking for that customer service, but we're also looking for what kind of jobs have they done before? Of course, like anyone else, how long did they stay there? What gaps did they have? Why did they have gaps? So all the normal things, but we also are listening for those customer service examples and stories and past experiences, just that gave you a little seasoning in some areas of the customer that might not always be easy. That's really what we're looking for. And teamwork. There's a, obviously a high focus on, can you work on a team? Because we're all one team. So, Sonia, welcome to the Quickfire Round. This is our Rapid Fire Game Show segment where you've got 10 seconds to answer each question. So, are you ready to rock and roll? I am ready. All right. Your time starts at the end of the first question. What brand do you look to as an example of great customer experience? Nordstrom. Very good. What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a music teacher. Oh, great. A children's music teacher. Do you still uh, keep your music uh, passion going? I do. I do. I don't teach, but I do uh, get to get involved sometimes. Oh, fantastic. To contrast that, what skill are you terrible at? Uh, probably time management. <laughs> I, I, I get tangled up in talking to people and lose track of time. Sonia, what are you reading right now? I'm reading a book, uh, just opened it, just cracked it open called Grit. And it was recommended by one of my cohorts. And uh, quite honestly, I just broke the cover on it. So it's called Grit. All right. Who's someone that you really admire? Uh, you know, I'll have to say, I'll go back to my past of my father, who is not, who's not living, but he probably is the best role model I could ever ask for. What non-work related thing are you really into right now? Uh, probably camping. Oh, lovely. Bought an RV, doing some camping these days. Very good. Whereabouts? We've done some Colorado and we're going to do Yellowstone this year. Sonia, where do you go to upskill? Um, you know, is it books or YouTube, podcasts? What's your channel of choice? I love TED Talks. I really do enjoy that. And, uh, and I do reading. I, I will alternate a book for um, fun and then I'll alternate a book for uh, self-development. That's great. And finally, what is your guilty pleasure? Oh, gosh. Uh, I love to watch t- uh, reality TV shows. <laughs> yes, one of our top responses, reality TV shows. <laughs> yeah, I'm entertained by other people making uh, embarrassing moments. <laughs> So, Sonia, actually, it's probably worth mentioning that you started your career at Southwest as a flight attendant yourself. You're on the front line before you kind of worked your way up the ranks to become the VP of in-flight operations. Could you maybe just give us a little bit of background on your journey through Southwest? Sure. I, uh, I flew for about three and a half years and I loved every minute of that. It certainly enjoyed the interface with the customer, uh, just like our employees today. But I felt a calling to be a leader. And part of the reason for that is I felt that there was a perception of a kind of an us and them with the front line and the leaders. And whether any of that was true or not, I knew that I could influence the, the perception. 
So uh, I kind of made a decision. You can sit on the jump seat and complain about this, or you can try to get off and do something about it. That was a pivotal moment for me. And then uh, I loved that job. I was going to stay with that job forever. That was my favorite job. And then a new role came open, assistant manager. And so I, I had the opportunity to manage large bases. And man, that's where the magic happens. I'll tell you, that's magic. Probably one of my favorite positions ever because you have a very small amount of time to engage with, love on, support, tend to, care for the employees when they come in before they check in. So it, it can be rapid fire at times, but it can also be so incredibly rewarding. And then um, in 2008, I moved to Dallas to headquarters to be the regional director for all of the bases. And that was at a even more fun, influential point because I felt like I can really inspire some things. And not that anything that was happening wasn't good. I just had some ideas I wanted to try to spin. And, and then I've been in this role since November of 2015. So I feel so shocked, truly shocked that I am sitting in this office at this desk because it, I certainly never saw myself in this role. But I love that Southwest affords us the opportunity to grow and uh, promote from within. And that's, that's another beautiful thing about our culture. Right now, your role is Vice President of In-Flight Operations. And I'd like to know what exactly is In-Flight Operations and what do you do in your role? Oh, man, that's a great hard question to answer. But my team inspires and, and supports and influences the flight attendants when they're away from home. And then um, we make sure that they meet their annual training requirements. And my team also schedules and plans their pairings and their trips. And so that's a a whole nother part of the operation that is very, very busy. It's like a puzzle. You put together a great plan. Weather happens and you throw the puzzle up in the air and you try to find the pieces and put them back together again. And unfortunately, our people are the ones having to be the pieces of the puzzle. That part's not always pretty. It's a challenge, which is why I'm so proud of our people when they go out and offer superior customer service, because I know on the inside, they don't maybe always feel it, but they know they're on stage and they're doing it every day. You mentioned something in your story where you said there was a little bit of a culture of sort of us and them of corporate management in their office. They don't really know what it's like. They're pushing down this training or these goals or I need to do this. And I think that can happen in many businesses very quickly and very easily. Clearly, you would have done some work to sort of break down that barrier. And I'm sure having come from being a flight attendant would have been a great way to help sort of remove that barrier. Could you maybe describe a little bit about that journey and what were some of the key things that you did to sort of remove that us and them? It was a collaborative effort and it took many of us to do this, but part of the thing we did was make sure that we uh, we put our supervisors and our leaders more out front. They, they weren't hidden behind in an office where you forced a person to come to them. How you structure and set up your environment where they come, I think tells a very loud story of this is an open concept and we are here. We're not hiding behind a wall because we don't want to talk to you. And then, man, you kind of are like a family. If you think about a home, you love your open kitchen and your living room so everybody can be together. It's the exact same thing. So I think that that was it. The other thing we did is we found ways to get our leaders out on the line, on overnights, on the aircraft, going back and talking to the flight attendant and meeting them where they are. If you go back to what I said earlier, they have a very small amount of time when they check in. 
you're not going to really get to ask them how they're doing on a personal level. But you can do that when you have a long flight or you can meet them on an overnight, maybe buy them a dinner and a cocktail and uh, sit down with them on a personal level. So we finally realized, gosh, guys, we can't force them to always come to us. We have to go to them. The other thing I'll say is we have engaged them. I'm keenly aware that for every year that I have not flown as a flight attendant, every year separates me a little bit further from what really happens in their day. So I have to surround myself with really great flight attendants to help keep me abreast of that. So we put together committees using our frontline flight attendants and we'll pull them in and say, tell us what's happening. And we give them several avenues, by the way, to tell us what's going on so that they don't hopefully look at it like we're making these decisions in a silo in an office, but we're really using their feedback. Because I I tell you, just as valuable as the voice of the customer is to them, they are my customer and their voice is equally important to me. I love this concept of going to them. And I sort of wrote down this line here, which is like, if you show that you care, then of course they will then care. (laughs) So beyond sort of forging that connection and therefore that trust, the sort of next level up is you now need to communicate great things, right? And then they need to be on board with these new programs or ideas. Do you maybe have some insights and some examples of where you've done this well? I think, first of all, you have to be really transparent with your group. You have to always tell them uh, the why behind things. I think, I don't think every company is always good at that especially when you're working on it so long to you, it makes perfect sense. But if you're not having that conversation with the front line, they haven't been on that journey with you. So telling them why you're doing what you're doing and also reminding them that everything does take a little bit of time to implement. And sometimes they see pain points in the system that they know need to be remedied. And we don't disagree with that, but there's a certain process, even with the FAA that you have to go through to have that validated. And so telling them, hey, we're working on it and I'm sorry it's taken so long, but keeping them abreast. I am a firm believer. If you don't give them the narrative, they will make up the narrative. Just be honest and tell them what's going on. And by the way, I would also say this, we've adopted an approach of don't try to be so perfect in your communication that it looks so pretty and so grammatically perfect that it's kind of boring, but instead just talk just like you're going to talk to them on a phone call, kind of talk in your memo and we'll do videos by the way I do. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask like practically how you communicate this uh, because, you know, these like long like corporate emails that get double checked and triple checked by legal and this sort of stuff, it's going to be hard to have that emotional connection to these programs and it's also hard for you to be candid about the why and candid about, hey, be patient with us, you know. I'd love to actually understand the practicalities of that communication. I think you have to go across all mediums. You have to do it in a written form. Some people prefer it in written form, but often I will duplicate almost what I have done on a written form into a video or vice versa. Mm, Interesting. And so you're saying the same thing, but you're getting a different learning style of how people prefer to get their information. Videos, I think, are still probably my favorite because you can really inflect your tone. You can smile. You know, you can laugh, you can mess up. By the way, I often will mess up on a video and my team will say, do you want to retake that? And I will say, no, no, I want them to see I am not perfect. And I think that's important because none of us are. Then they probably kind of realize, well, this is a little bit hard for her too. So 
I just think it's a connection. I have a firm belief in connection over perfection. And I think that my team has adopted that same motto. So we do it that way. We also arm our leaders with good information. So they're front and center out there. I do what's called a town hall twice a year. So I will live stream a town hall with myself and my entire director team. And we will let people email in their questions. And you certainly don't ever know what's going to be asked. You can kind of predict based on the, you know, what's going on at the time, but it can be a variety of questions and it's a two solid hour time frame. And that has been wildly successful because we will sometimes prove we do not have the answer today, but that's okay. We will send it out to you later because we don't have all the answers. So let's pivot here for a second and talk about scheduling a team and and quite a large team at that. I think you have about 16,000 flight attendants at Southwest Airlines. So could you talk us through some of the challenges of doing that scheduling and maybe what happens when things go wrong? Going back to the crew scheduling and planning team, that's a relationship challenge there because they are the team that is having to schedule the flight attendant or call them and tell them you're not going where you hoped to go today or your day just got extended by two hours or you're not going to get home tonight. It's going to be tomorrow. And so all of those are very real scenarios and bridging the gap between them. The crew schedulers have a job to do clearly. We have to have people on an aircraft to get our customers where to go and everyone understands that. But sometimes they do wish it wasn't them in that moment and it was someone else. The crew scheduler is the person who is always typically calling to give them bad news. It's never like, hey, just call to say hello and how are you? So I think that's probably one of our biggest challenges is making them feel special in that moment. One of the things that we've done is we have a whole hospitality desk set up for giving them the why behind what's happening when we have moments like that. And by the way, we have a pretty small crew scheduling team that does this. The volume and their bandwidth is amazing. It's a moving target all the time. And then I think the other piece is always just making sure that you find ways to connect with them so that they feel valued and there's no rumor base. We always jokingly say, just because you heard it on a van or a jump seat, Please do not take that at face value. Let us give you the truth and call us. And so social media can be a challenge sometimes too, you know, because everybody is on social media and that one statement gets made there. So we work really hard to just be transparent with them and tell them what's going on in the operation that day. We do make mistakes in crew scheduling and we know that. I mean, everybody's human. So what we coach our team on is own it, own it, make it right. Whether that's through pay, just make it right. Okay, let's unpack that and maybe that's, that's a good place to, 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 to wind up. This, this concept of just own it and make it right and empowerment, the easy things to say, but it's very, very hard for that to show up across the board because the default view for a lot of people can be, well, yeah, that's not my job or like I wasn't trained to do that. And then you do have people who do really care, but then they can't deliver it because they don't have the empowerment. Maybe just talk us through like how do you get to a place where you have that true empowerment and you can say something like, well, just own it and make it right. How do you actually do that? <laughs> you know, I love that you asked that question because early in my career, the advice that was given to me as a brand new leader was, Sonia, I will never call you and ask you why you did too much for someone 
that I will very likely call you and ask you why you did not do enough. That was passed on to me at a very early leadership age, and I have passed that on to my team. And then if it wasn't the right decision, we can talk about that later and we can dissect why or maybe why we could have done some things differently. And in that moment, it's not in the height of the moment and you can look at it from a different lens. But in the moment, we really do want our people to own it. And by the way, I love to say this all the time, we hire our people for good judgment and common sense. There is skill, but there is also good judgment and common sense. I have this thing that I mentioned often in settings, and that is you've got your job function, and then you have the essence in which you perform that function. You have a skill set you have to do, but man, you can take it to a different level by how you do that. And that's, that's the ownership and the authenticity. So is there kind of like an unwritten rule internally where if you act in the best interest of the customer, then you're always right? Kind of. Yeah, I would, I would say that if you act in the best interest of the customer, there's no discipline there. There's nothing. We're not looking to do anything except thank you for making the moment right. And then, hey, maybe next time there could be a different approach. How do you find people with good judgment and common sense? It sounds like such a dumb question, actually. If you kind of go, okay, hiring for service culture, you can kind of tell through the interview process just whether they have the service mindset and there's some ways to sort of test for that. I'm interested in how the Southwest um, screen for this or hire for this or what are some markers that you, you know, go, oh, wow, this person's going to be great when it comes to making all those small judgment calls and all those small common sense calls that's great and in line with our values. It's a probably several-prong approach. First of all, we have so many of our employees that find people and send them to us. Certainly, they still go through all the same process, but we do love that people come to us because they say, my friend works here and they said, I might be a good fit for this. And pretty often, they are because our people try to find the right people. Second piece is, I'm speaking in-flight only now, they go through a four-week training And they are not officially hired until they complete that training. Oh, interesting. They actually, at any point, we can release them from class if we begin to see signs. And and by the way, we do. Uh, It's not a high percentage, but there are definitely people that you can realize they were the ones who said all the right things and they just execute on that. And and we will send them home. And then that onboarding process is the last piece. That's a probationary time for them. And if they're not a right fit, I should tell you this too. One of the things that we do that's a little bit unique is our flight attendants will write evaluations on probationary. So the other flight attendants on the flight will fill out evaluations and uh, send them back into the onboarding leaders to say they were awesome or They need a little extra work in this area because it matters to them that we onboard people in that first six months. Is that for every flight that they're on? Not every flight. It's random, but it is throughout the whole six-month period. And so, But it's a regular heartbeat on how they're performing during their onboarding, not by someone who's just coming in with a clipboard and statically observing it, but it's actually the fellow team members that are on that journey. That's fantastic. I want to finish up by coming full circle to something you said in the very beginning, Sonia, which was, again, around this empowerment topic, which was that you guys enable your staff to be themselves and to kind of have some personality. Can you talk us through that a little bit? One of our mottos here at Southwest is we build our brand from the inside out. So we know that if we empower our people and we make sure that they cannot 
act like an owner if we don't treat them like an owner. And quite honestly, in the moment, and this kind of goes back to the us and them, I'm in an office right now while you're standing in front of a customer who has a need. And on paper, whatever report may come in, I'm not going to get the full story in the same way you're witnessing it and experiencing it right now. And so I have to trust that you're the one that knows the right thing to do. And by the way, you've got other crew members on there who you're kind of, you're a team. You make decisions as a team if it's a big decision. If you don't trust people in that, I believe you'll lose your people. I certainly want to be trusted to do my job. And I I think I was hired because someone trusted me. I kind of have this motto, if you can't trust them, then they don't need to be here. And we have just so much confidence in, in our people. Well, Sonia, we had a lot of fun. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh my gosh, I had a blast. Thank you. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Well, another excellent interview. Indeed. Sonia was so wonderful. It was actually really refreshing to hear the kind of down-to-earth and genuine approach that she has. And I think that Southwest has to treating employees wonderfully, to focusing on hospitality and customer service. And and that definitely came out through our discussion. I completely agree. And what's kind of incredible, actually, is that was a conversation with someone who is responsible for 16,000 flight attendants for the airline that's probably known as the best customer service in the world. And there was no corporate speak. There was no like egos. Uh, There were just like lots of practical, genuine tips and stories around what they're doing to make customer experience really great. So looking forward to the takeaways here. So Adam, what did you have as a takeaway in that conversation? Yeah, so the first thing that really struck me from this discussion was it really seems that there is this kind of family culture at Southwest. There's this trust that's built within the team, this kind of genuine empathy that employees have for each other and also that management has for the staff. And I think what starts to happen when you have this really great internal culture that's you know built through that and also these culture committees and a range of other um, initiatives like recognizing positive feedback and all that kind of stuff. What starts to happen is this internal culture begins to seep out into the world from your frontline staff when they deal with your customers. And so, what kind of happens is when you have such a great internal culture, it kind of automatically creates this environment where your employees really care for the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the comment that I wrote down, which is, you know, if you care, they will care. (laughs) It's such a a great way to sort of think about it. It's like, how can I expect them to care and deliver great experiences? Like if I don't care about them and if I don't care about the customer. And so it's just this holistic way of thinking about it. So one thing that really stood out for me was when she talked about the challenge when she got into the role as VP, that there was a bit of us and them frontline line versus management and this is something that I've seen a lot and it can creep up very quickly even in extremely small organizations of less than 10 people (laughs) it can just be like oh that senior person doesn't understand us and you can get this us and them really quickly and I like the way that she framed what she did to sort of chip away at this which was just go to the front line and spend time with them and build that connection. And ultimately what it comes down to is building that level of trust and, oh, you're like me, you're with me, you're on my team and you're going into bat for me. And I think that's why we often hear these stories like, 
Walt Disney going into the park and picking up trash or that CEO that spent time in the call center or went down to the manufacturing line or senior management at a retailer spend all of Christmas in stores on the front line. The reason these stories resonate for us is because we feel like we're on the same team and they're going into bat for me. And I think that was a really, really important takeaway. The next one that I had was around empowerment and how the team at Southwest really takes ownership over situations. And the quote that Sonia had was that uh, they have this mentality of own it, make it right. And this kind of came up in a couple of different examples, one of them being, you know, the, the culture, things weren't kind of working the way they wanted and management's response was that if you don't like it, this is your business, your company, you guys can help make this right, you guys can help fix this. And so there was just this general overview and feeling of anything that happened at Southwest can be changed by the people and that kind of engenders this whole team atmosphere that I think came through throughout the whole discussion. I love that one. Uh, The last takeaway for me was invest in making the internal comms great. And I like how she mentioned that they invest in doing both video and written. Something that I've learned internally is that I used to send out these videos internally and then some people didn't watch them, but some people loved them and others wanted like written updates. So I'm now looking to up my written game and then do it together with video. And I think this is important. And to go hand in hand with that, that's like the method, but telling the reasons why. It can be very easy to come up with a new policy or a process or some changes or an initiative and quickly gloss over the reasons why and what were the challenges that you're trying to address and what was the journey you went on to make this decision and the reason why you're making this change as opposed to we're doing this the change you need to do it now and so I think investing and getting the comms great was another big highlight for me. All right so four amazing takeaways let's sum them up. Number one was, if you really care about your people, they will really care about the customer. Number two is, if you're in management, spend time regularly with the front line. Number three was, give your staff the empowerment to take ownership. And lastly, invest in making the internal comms great. Wonderful. Well, this was a really fun episode and one that we've been wanting to do for quite a while. Southwest has been mentioned by a number of people as a shining example of great customer experience. So, it was great to unpack what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And if you loved listening to this show, please share it with your friends. Uh, Write a short review. It's always appreciated. And we love connecting with you. So, you can add me to your LinkedIn. I'm Michael Momsen. And I'm Adam Jaffrey. You'll find links for both of us in the episode show notes. Thanks for listening. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rateit, a better way to listen to your customers. Rateit is the easiest and most delightful way for your customers to share their feedback with you in a way that feels like a conversation, not an annoying survey. And their platform is trusted by brands like Adidas, Disney and Aldi to help improve their customer experience. So to find out more, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This show is made in partnership with Wavelength Creative. It was produced and edited by me, Adam Jaffrey, and edited and mixed by Christopher Lawson. Our theme music is by Icolix, Peter Cooley, and The Shrugs. 
And before we go, I want to thank you very much for listening to this podcast. We have a lot of fun making it and we love to hear from you. So please add Michael and myself on LinkedIn and send us a message saying hello. Until next time, I'm Adam Jaffrey. I'll speak to you soon.